Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Today we're going to um, step back into our words series. I call it a series. It's really a big theme that we've been in for quite some time now, uh, since the month of August. And in the first few weeks, we talked about uh, we talked about how the the difficult teachings that Jesus gave and how we had to deal with those words like forgiveness uh, and things like that. Then, following that, we spent. Uh, several weeks talking about taking God at his word in every area of our lives, including the most difficult areas. So we spent some time discussing that. And then for the next uh, few weeks, we're going to close out this theme at the end of the month. And we're going to spend the, the next month talking about worship and the different aspects of worship, from worship to praise to thanksgiving, uh, the expression of worship and what is that. And I'll explain a little bit more as we get into today's message why I feel like the Lord has drawn me into to going this direction, because uh, honestly, I kind of looked at him and I, are you serious? <laughs> it's, it's the Sunday before the most important election ever in our history. And the Lord really chastised me and said, if you really trust me, then you don't need to worry about it. Okay, and so I'm going to do that. And so we're going to talk about worshiping Jesus, because if we as a country could get back to worshiping King Jesus, we wouldn't have the political mess that we've got today, Amen. And so we're going to jump into this. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to start talking about worship. Um, oftentimes, uh, when, we come to, when we come to church, we enjoy the singing. But let's be honest, we kinda com- sometimes we completely miss what the beginning portion of our service is really about. And we, we have this opening, upbeat praise tune. Then the choir steps right in after that, and they're worshiping the Lord. And sometimes we stand and watch them. Sometimes we sit and watch them. Sometimes we stand and participate with them. We should enter in every time. It doesn't matter if you're seated or whatever. We're going to talk about entering in, and we've got to jump in with that. They, they are worshiping the Lord with their gifts and talents. Let's support them in that, amen? And so um, it's interesting how, you know, in the, the singing portion of the service, you can have two people sitting side by side. One person, man, they can really be entering in, and man, they, they can really be getting it. God could be doing amazing things in their lives, and the person next to them, Nothing. Have you ever been there? I've been there. (laughs) You're standing there, and it seems like the person next to you, the Lord has opened up the the fountain, the spigot, and it is poured all over them, and you are in the middle of the desert, you know? You You can't help it. You can't get anything. It's like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but they're getting it all, and I'm getting nothing, and I don't like it. And, uh, and sometimes that can be hard. It can be difficult. And, and the, the truth is, it's all about where are we entering in? Are we focusing? Are we, are we putting everything we've got into that? And so we've got to, we, the, the next person who's not getting anything, oftentimes, if we're honest, our mind is elsewhere. Um, we're more focused on why they're getting it and I'm not, or what's for lunch. Um, or did I take my medicine this morning? Because Lord Jesus knows I need that crazy pill. Mm-hmm. We, we all have those moments, right? It's about focus. It's about, it's about paying attention and not, not focusing on everything else. Every time we enter into God's presence, the Lord will speak to us. Every time. 
Every time he comes in or we enter into his presence, he'll speak. Let me, let me show you how. In Revelation 3.20, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus 3 and stick a marker in Psalm 73. That's where we're going to be today. This scripture is going to be on, on the screens here. It's Revelation 3.20. It's one we all know well. It says, listen, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. Okay? It's really simple, right? I will enter in and, and we will share a meal together as friends. We love that verse when we talk about evangelism, don't we? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's a, an, old, uh, an old song by a, a, an old Christian rock group called Bride. In the beginning of the, I know, right? Some of you are like, woo. Some of you are like, who? It's a Christian rock group called Bride. I mean, like, heavy metal. Back when I had hair, you know? But they had, this, they had this song that the song started out with, like, bells chiming. And then, like, this, this Western guy saying, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today. And then here comes the guitar just shredding it, you know. And I was like, yes, I can't play the guitar. My fingers are way too fat to do that. But what an awesome, you know. But every time I hear this verse, that's what I think of. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today. We never focus on the second part. Why is he knocking on the door? Because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants that intimate fellowship with us. You know, when strangers come to your house, do you let them pass the entryway of your home? No. People that you're acquainted with, you might allow into the living room. But who gets to come into the dining room or the kitchen and actually see how the mess is made of what you serve, right? Family, right? That's what Jesus is saying. I want to share a meal with you. I want to get close. I want to be where you're at. I want to share that and intimately have that relationship with you. That's the point. When he's there, he speaks. I've never, ever in my life been in, in, at, a, at a dinner setting or been out with friends that you didn't talk at all. Like even during a good movie, you talk about what you just happened on the movie, right? Man, that's what we do. We, we discuss things. We talk about what's happening every day in life. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want to come in. I want to be, be with you. Now, you can get close enough to certain friends, right? Now, ladies, how, how many of you have one of those really special lady friends? You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to say the words and they know what you're thinking, right? Guys, it's okay for you to not raise your hand. You probably don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Because, guys, you could be looking at the same thing going, huh, one of you is going, man, that's a really awesome TV. That would fit really nicely. And you're like, wow, look at the screen. You could care less. It goes back and forth, right? So we, we view things differently. Not often do guys have that kind of a, a connection with a buddy that they're going to go, yeah. One time, one time, I was uh, sitting at dinner with my, my best friend Brian McNabb, and Rachel was with us. And, like, somebody walks in, and there is this whole exchange that happens without words, between me and Brian. And Rachel's sitting there, and she is just, and she goes, really? Are you two women? <laughs> no. Not at all. Uh-uh. You can get close enough that you don't have to say the words, but when you're that close, you don't have to say every word because you've said the deepest, most meaningful words. You've shared in the open, in, in that marriage relationship. That's the kind of relationship we're longing to have is to where there doesn't have to be that dialogue for everything. They just know the direction that you're wanting to go. They just get it because of the experience that goes with us. That, that's what Jesus is saying here. Look, I'm knocking on the door because I want in to have a relationship with you. I want it to be intimate. I want it to be close. I want it to be where he's, uh, he longs for that. 
See, when we come to church, a lot of times we get excited about the word, don't we? We, we, we like good preaching. We all do. And some of you are like, hey, we like good preaching. And we stayed for you, buddy. It's supposed to be funnier than that. Man, I really know how to stick a brother deep. We love to be fed. We love to come. We love to hear good, good preaching. We love that. But, but the point is, we, we've got we've to catch this. It's not just about what we're eating. It's not. It's not just about did you get a good meal. It's all about who are you eating it with. It's, it's not. Man, I, I know a lot of guys that they are gifted communicators, but they have no relationship with Jesus. They can learn to lean into their gift to the talent that they have. In fact, a good friend of mine, Brian Jarrett, tells a great story about how he, he found himself in that place where he has, he, God has gifted him. He has an amazing talent to communicate. Church in Dallas runs, I don't know, five or 6,000 now. But he had gotten away from having the relationship with Jesus that drove the passion for preaching and was just leaning into the town. We, we, we've got to lean into what it is. What makes church church is when we come and we have a relationship with Jesus, when we meet with him there. When we come to church and we get a good meal and, and at the same time Jesus is sitting across the table from us while we're eating. That, that's what matters, right? That's what makes church church. And contrary to some public opinion, the message is not the main course while worship is the appetizer. They both work hand-in-hand hand together. So today as we dive into this very important topic of, of worship, we're going to look at it from three areas. We're going we're to talk about look, listen, and learn. Okay. So I told you to, to flip over to Exodus chapter 3. I want you to read the first five verses with me. It'll be on, on the screens as we go. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the high priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This was amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't the bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned him. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, this has been a great passage for many people all throughout uh, uh, the church in general. Because there's so much good stuff here. And there's a lot of areas we'd like to go. I'm not going to go there. This conversation that Moses and the Lord are having goes on for two whole chapters. All of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. They're talking about it. And they're, they're, they're having this discussion. But the thing I want us to notice, we've got to look. That's the first thing Moses did is he looked. There's something to be said for Moses having gone to the far side of the wilderness. Have you ever felt like spiritually you were on the far side of the wilderness? Dry, desolate. I read my Bible, but I feel like I'm punching the clock. I pray, but it doesn't seem to get any further through the roof than when I pray over my meal. Anybody feel that way ever? There's something to be said here that Moses went to the far side of the wilderness and found the mountain of the Lord. You may be facing the most 
one of the most difficult, dry, I don't understand what God is doing seasons in your life. And in the middle of it, if you'll look, you'll find yourself out the mountain of God where God can then reveal himself. But you've got to be okay with following God on the journey he's called you to go on. And it may be difficult in that season right now. You may be looking at it, I don't get how this is supposed to work. Here Moses is. He was raised up in Pharaoh's home. Now he is literally tending sheep in the hot, dry, desolate, miserable landscape of a desert wilderness. You talk about going from the penthouse to the outhouse. Tending stinky sheep. Have you ever been around sheep for real? Them things smell awful. I, wow, they're, wow. So here Moses is, and he goes out there, and what, what does he say? He says he looks, he saw something. Something caught his attention. Uh, he, 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 he turned aside. We've got to look in the direction of God. We've got to turn aside from whatever we've been doing and whatever we have to do or whatever we're facing and look to God. See, Moses, he never, if he would have just thought, oh, that's another bush that's on fire, I mean, it kind of gives the idea that maybe that's a phenomenon not all in common. It's too hot, it's too dry, and the thing goes up in a flame by itself. Who knows? But it's the idea that he looked and he saw something and went, I've got to see that. He stared in amazement. He stares at it and he goes, I've got to see more of this. And he leaves the sheep because they're okay and he goes over and checks on. The thing is, you may have a busy, busy thing in front of you, but what Moses was doing, he's tending thousands of sheep and he turned away from it and said, you know what, that'll be okay. What is God doing over here? And as he went to that, he saw God in a whole new way because that's when he experienced God. See, one of the things that we've got to, got to realize, that the reason we sing the songs that we do is because we sing the songs that are about God's greatness. We sing songs that are about the attributes of God, about how God wants to have a relationship with us, how much he loves us, uh, how much he desires for you and I to be in relationship with him. And that's what worship songs all throughout history have done, rooted and based in scripture, but they've described and given the characteristics of God's glorious attributes. Here's the thing about uh, uh, maybe a different word for worship that might help us. A really good definitive word for worship is focus. During When we worship, we focus on God. The word worship means worthy, means that they are worship, so they're worthy of giving that to. So God is worthy of our worship, but worship is, is really well described. Focus, I'm focusing on this. That's why it's easy for guys to worship at OU football games. It's easy for Pat and Brenda and all the other Cowboy fans to ha almost have heart attacks at the Cowboy games. Why? Because they're focused on what's going on. You know, yesterday I, I flipped on the Cowboys game because the Sooners weren't playing. And I was watching a little bit and it was, you know, they were kind of running away with it. And it kind of got a little head. I thought, eh, hey, it's fine. I flipped to another game. Went to another game. I thought, eh, hey, forget it. I'm going to watch a movie. Because, never mind. But, see, I'm getting better. Give me some credit here. So, the Cowboys, it ends up, I get this alert on my phone that it's a close game. They're losing. I thought, are you kidding me? No way. But they'll pull it out, of course, because that's what they do. Win it in the last second, you know, kind of. But it's easy to pay attention or worship because they're focused on what's going on. And when they win, oh, they cheer and they get loud and woo. You know, we're at the, if we're at the Sooners game, we took Caden uh, Cecily a few weeks ago. And, man, they're cheering. Yeah, woo. Daddy, what happened? You know, they don't really understand, but they're giving it all they got, right? But it's a worship. You focus on what's going on. 
We worship at a lot of different idols' feet, if we'll be really honest. Maybe it's the, the, the idol of whatever entertainment we're watching, whatever movie, whatever show, whatever the banker has said. We, we worship at a lot of different places because that's where we give our focus to. Worship is expressed in many forms, and next week we're going to talk about that. But what matters most is that we're focused on him, whether we are sitting, standing, shouting, jumping, weeping, receiving communion, whatever. We've got to focus on Jesus and stay focused on him. That's what worship is about, is focusing on him. Don't be ADD or ADHD worshipers. I don't want to, just, I don't want to give anybody that characteristic. Right? I'm not saying any of you are ADD. It might be said about some of us in the room, but that's a different story. Don't be an ADD worshiper. You, ADD, you can't stay focused on anything. You get distracted really, really easily. Uh, ADD worshipers, it might look something like this. They've got their hands up. Get that one eye open, though. <laughs> for uh, for a, a, a younger audience, it might look something like this. For some of us who really need a good, a good, uh, good lesson from Simon Cow on, uh, on, on American, uh, American Idol, back when it was really good, we, we, we get out here and nobody's ever told us that we're not a great singer. So we start singing. And the Lord says to make a joyful noise, so you should sing. But that doesn't mean you need to try to sing like Mariah Carey. I tried that one time, hurt myself in the process. Just be you, sing a song to the Lord, be exuberant about it, but you don't have to be an ADD singer like you're singing like 17 parts, right? Just sing the song to the Lord, just Make that joyful noise. In 2 Corinthians, what happens here is it turns into the proverbial squirrel, right? We're worshiping and something happens. We're like, whoop. Go to the bathroom before church starts. You might not have to go during the middle of the service. That's a whole different story, though. Just worship the Lord. Give it all you got. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, in this, this describes worship really well. We, we all look intently at mirrors, don't we? Every time you go in front of a mirror, you look hard, right? I've seen some of you. Don't act like you don't. I've seen you out here in this gigantic mirror on the wall. Every time you walk in front of it, you're like... We do. We look intently in a mirror. You want, what does a mirror do? It helps you to prepare to look the way it's supposed to look. You look intently at it when you're doing your, ladies, when you're doing your makeup, guys. If you're doing your makeup, we have a counseling session for you, just call. When you do, ladies, when you're doing your makeup, what do you do? You focus in. You're putting that on, you gotta look close. 
You don't want your lipstick liner to not be right. So you look intently. We Guys kind of do it like this. Get wet. Yep, okay, wait. The nose hair? Okay. And move on. What's what, what we do? We look intently in the mirror to make sure. And then when you get dressed, just, I mean, I just baptized uh, everybody this morning, including my daughter, which is a really exciting time for me as a dad. I love that. There's nothing greater than, than that experience of knowing they're making the choice to follow Jesus, and she understands it. That's the key. We don't just let them get baptized because it's like, hey, I want to get dunked. No, 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 no. You got to understand it, okay? So once they get it, yeah, sure, let's get baptized. Let's get started. Here's the thing, though. You get ready, I get out of the baptist room, uh, out of the baptistry tank, I run downstairs, I change clothes. I can't remember what the last worship song is. So I hear that second worship song kind of winding down, and I'm like, oh no. I'm really hurrying then, right? And then I hear the third one come, I'm like, oh thank goodness. So I go on, finish getting dressed, I'm looking in the mirror, making sure my wires is right where it's supposed to be. And we look intently because I want it to look right. I don't want to come out here with my shirt all buttoned, all crooked and crazy because I didn't do it, didn't pay attention to what I was doing. You know, you, you, you go through the right thing because you want to look right. That's what worship does, okay? Worship, see, when it says here with unveiled faces as believers, the veil is removed. When we accept Jesus, the veil gets removed. So now we can are to look intently into the glory of God. That's what it says. We, we are reflecting the glory of the Lord. The only way you can reflect is if at first you have seen. A mirror can't give a reflection for something that's not there. It can't present a false image that's, that's not even there. That's called a, a, a funhouse mirror. Now, sometimes we, we get those mirrors and we want to kind of push on the middle, right, because it makes everything kind of come this way, a little skinnier. That's what I do, right? I'll be getting dressed and I'll push on the middle of that mirror and I don't look quite so round. I look a little bit more tall. So that, and I'm a little vertically challenged anyway because that's my mama's fault. She's four foot and nothing. Um, my dad is 6'1". I didn't get his height. I did get his haircut, though. So, so we, we look in a mirror to make sure it's right. We look into the glory of the Lord. The Bible describes that we behold the glory of God. That's what worship is. Here's the thing about worship. When we look into the glory of God and we focus on what God's doing and giving him the praise and we're expressing that to him, and we'll talk about more of that next week. But here's what happens. There's two primary change agents in our lives. When we behold the glory of God in worship, and when we look intently into the word of God and God's word speaks back to us, we've got to look intently into what God is doing. I didn't really understand why the Lord put this so strongly in my heart to step into a short series here about worship over the next four weeks. I didn't really get it. Because honestly, it's Thanksgiving. I'd much rather preach Thanksgiving sermons, you know what I'm saying? And talk about all the good food you're going to eat. And tell you that science shows that two weeks ago was the lightest you're going away for the rest of the year. So enjoy it. Right? The Lord really arrested my heart about this. Because he showed me how much I tend to be an ADD worshiper and have a tendency not to enter in. And he began to deal with my heart. I wanted to talk about the election this Tuesday. The only thing I'm going to say is this, go vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you go vote. If you don't vote, don't complain. On Wednesday, everybody's Facebook timeline is going to be completely empty. 
There will be no new leaks or crazy stories to go around before the election. So we can all get off the high and the junkie of that, right? Go vote. I wanted to spend some time talking about, here's what the Lord wants us to deal with. But God really arrested my heart because sometimes I can come in so weighed down and burdened from the cares of my own life. Dealing with the kids, our own family affairs. I can be so burdened by that that I don't enter in because I'm just distracted. My mind is not there. Or I can come in weighed down and burdened by the cares and the burdens that you carry that I know about. I can be worried about what's going on in your life or, or some of you, what's going on in your marriage. I, I can be worried about how things are shaping up for you and I can really be distracted. And I can be over here trying to worship and, and, and then I'll, I'll think about you, you will come to mind. I think, oh, man, I wonder how they're, and I'm not entering into worship. Or, or sometimes I'm really good at this one. I, I play an instrument that's not my forte. I, I can hack around on a keyboard, but it takes a lot of focus for me. And I, don't, I, I miss that chance to enter in together corporately in worship with you. I miss those opportunities. So I really made an effort in my, my morning devotion times to, to really add some, some worship experience side to that. Um, I was really challenged by that from another minister that, hey, you have some, some worship time in your own personal devotion life where you're worshiping God and you're entering and put on a song that you, ministers to you and enter into a time of worship. And so I, was, I have begun to do that because I need to enter in. I need to be in his presence so he can speak to my heart. I can be, be uh, overwhelmed with uh, the political and cultural issues that we're facing. And how is that going to affect us as a church being able to do what we do? Or I can be worried about, um, Lord, are we going in the right direction as a church family? Are we leading well? Is this, did I really hear from you that this is what we're supposed to do? Uh, are you sure, Lord, that this is what you want us to, the direction you want us to go? Uh, we can get so caught up with that. And I thought, as I began to think of that, and the Lord was dealing with me about worship, I wonder how many of our church families struggle with the very same thing. They don't enter into worship because when they do get here, we get distracted by a host of things. I can't believe they're wearing that. Are they really singing that song? You know, we would have a better worship time if we would do this song. And the whole point is we're missing our chance to worship and focus on God in that moment. We can get so weighed down with worry and concern about doctor's reports or about our finances or about our kids and grandkids, about the results of the election uh, uh, this coming Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whenever they get them certified or whatever else that we're facing. We get so caught up in that that we don't enter in to worship. We come and we sit through the, quote, song service as it used to be called. While we wait on the meal, when we're missing out on the meal that's right in front of us, Amen. all because we're not focusing on Jesus. Amen. So when we focus on Jesus, everything else fail, uh, falls away. But we've got to look. We've got to look intently at what God's doing. If we don't first look intently or focus on Jesus, we can't and won't listen to what he wants to say to us. We've got to, number two, listen. Back in verse 4 here, it says, When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Here's the thing. God didn't just start talking to Moses because he glanced, right? He didn't start talking to him and telling him all about who he, uh, who he was and his wonderful plan for Moses' life to deliver the children, out of, out of Israel, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
He didn't do any of that while Moses wasn't looking. He didn't do any of that while Moses wasn't paying attention. He waited until he had Moses' full attention. I don't think God ever speaks to us at all, especially during a time of worship, if we're not looking at him. If we're not focused on him, God won't speak to us. If we're not focused on him, there's no way he can. I I know many of us in the room today, we need a word from God. How many of you need God to direct a path? You need a word from the Lord today. And we do, right? I do. I need God to show me. I'm not like, okay, I got this all figured out. Here's my five-year game plan for my life, and here's what I'm going to do. And X, Y, Z, here we go, boom. I wish I got a target on the board that we're aimed at. And we're going, here's what we're trying to do. I got, let's see, Cade's nine. He's about to be 10. That means I have six and a half years to be able to pay for a car. And then two more years after that to start paying for college. Oh, dear Jesus, how are we going to get that, right? Y'all, y'all feeling me? So we, we do that. When it comes to the church, it's like, okay, Lord, I feel like this is the direction you called us. How do we get there? Let's start putting some steps in place. I wish we had this, you know, 50-step plan of how it was all going to work. But you know what? God said he'll take care of it. If we'll sow and if we'll water, he'll bring in the increase. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to worry about being fantastic at three things, worship, the word, and prayer. Those are the three things that we're going to build everything else on. Amen? And so from there, amen, we can clap that in. When we need a word from the Lord, whatever you're facing, it's a doctor's report, it's your finances, it's your family, you need a word from the Lord, God wants to give it to you. But he's waiting on us to turn aside from what's in front of us and focus on him so that he can speak. It really does amaze me how oftentimes I want to hear God speak, and yet I, in those seasons... I give so little time to him. Let me give you an analogy from my kids' lives. I want them to be looking when I'm talking. Anybody? Anybody feel that? If they've got their head down, they're not hearing a word I said. I used to think it was just my dad's gift, right? That selective hearing, that when the football game was on, everything else could be going, and you, 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 dad... But if you try to take the TV remote away from him, he was awake, he was watching that, and could tell you the score. Okay? I want my kids paying attention. I want them looking at me, right? I don't want me doing anything else. It's the only way I'm 99% sure they're actually listening to what I have to say. So we've got to put down the game, we've got to put down the device, and pay attention to one another. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Good example of this, we were at Cecily's uh, gymnastics lesson this last Thursday, and her coach, Paige, was working with her. And it was something that she has down. She's, I mean, she can nail this. Um, I don't know. It's a walk back, walk over, front flip, kick stand, something or other. I never did gym, gymnastics. I don't have a clue. All I know is she goes running and tumbles down a jump flip, flip, and lands on her feet. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. I see them do that in the Olympics. How'd you do that? So Paige was giving her a hard time because she wasn't doing it right. She's done this, I mean, for months now. She can nail this. It's a pretty, pretty common thing for her. But it's because her buddies are down at the other end of the mat, and she wants to see what they're doing. She's not focused on what she's doing. So Paige gets on to her. So Cecily, if you don't do this right, pay attention here, you're going to do push-ups. I've never seen those little eyes get so big. She nailed it because she focused. The other thing that, that happens common, I'm sure this is never in your house, it's just our house. 
kids are in the other room, hey, and you want them to come, right? Do you holler at them in the other room and say, hey, Cade, come here, I need you to take out the trash and go do this and that, and give him all of the instructions while he's in the other room doing something else? No. You say, Cade, come here. Cade. Really, it kind of goes like this. You were saying. Tell Cade Jenkins to come here, please. Okay, I'll send it. <laughs> he gets it on his phone. Hey, Dad, what you need? <laughs> hey, let me have your phone. What'd I do? I need you to do something, but I have to have that before you'll go do it. Okay, get it. I need you to take out the trash. I need you to pick up shoes. I need you to X, Y, and Z. I get his attention. I call to him. When he turns aside and comes and listens, then we get instructions. Here, go do this. I can talk to him. You know what God's looking at? Same thing from Moses. He will light a bush on fire if that's what it takes to get our attention. He will allow us to go through unbelievable things, see unbelievable things, if it will get our attention, so that in that moment we'll go, oh, okay, Lord, what are you, yes, yes, Lord, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. This is not just playtime. This, pay attention. This is important. Come talk to me. Okay. And God then will begin to speak to us. He'll communicate to us. But here's the thing. We have to be in his presence if we're going to hear more than just him calling out to us. He speaks to us when we're in his presence. Let me give you some verses here. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Now, I know I was kind of teasing because some of us, you know, we try to sing like Mariah Carey and sing 17 parts all at the same time. There's only 13 parts in music, so if you were going too far there, there you go. Sing. It's good, whether you got a good voice or not. But here's the thing. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing. Lift up your voice and sing unto the Lord. Psalm 9.3 uh, says, my enemies retreated. They staggered and died when you appeared. Here's, here, here, get this. You'd be surprised how many victories we would win if we would bring our problems to the Lord and enter into his presence so God can deal with them. And being in God's presence changes everything. Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. Isn't that the point? There's not much life if Jesus isn't there, right? I don't want to live forever if Jesus isn't going to be there with me. Well, we get to experience heaven on earth right now when we enter into his presence. You need God to do a miracle in your life? Pray, worship, enter into his presence, and ask God to do it. it worship doesn't have to be this high-pitched, got to get the music just right, hit that minor key so we get the goosebumps going up and down our, uh, the back of our neck. It's not about that. It's about focusing on him, and we can do that in a moment, or we can spend 30 minutes trying to figure it out. Focus on him, pay attention, dig into that, and let him bring the joy of his presence, the pleasure of living to us. Psalm 68, 8. The earth trembled and the heavens poured down rain before you. The God of Sinai, God, before God, the God of Israel. Here's the thing. All blessings come from his presence. And mountains move because of his presence. Now, we may not be in a physical drought anymore. We, we may not be there as a, as a state any longer. Spiritually, we absolutely are. 
And we need the rain of his presence to fall again. We need desperately for there to be another moving, another outpouring of God's spirit bringing us back. We need that, amen? It all comes from the Lord. And then Acts chapter 3, verse 19, says to repent, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Repent, turn to God. So we've got to come into his presence if we want to hear his voice. And we do that by first looking, focus on God, listening, and thirdly, by learning. Remember, God told Moses to take off his sandals, right? Take off your sandals. This is holy. This, where you're at is holy. The reason that's so unique to me is because Moses learned right there, wherever God's presence is, is holy. You can have a holy experience in your closet. You can have a holy experience in the hospital. You can have a holy experience in your car. Wherever God's presence at is holy. But he learned much more than that. Here's how I know he had to have learned much more than that. Because the Bible says, uh, we know that the, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. But Moses didn't live until 2,500 years after creation. So how did he learn it? How did he get it? Did he have some secret tablet that nobody else had? I mean like a stone tablet, not like a tablet. He didn't have access to the, the inter, uh, information highway. So how did he get it? Well, he spent time with God. How did he know to write about creation and it happened in seven days in the order that science has said there's no other way it could have sustained itself had it not happened in the exact order that Genesis chapter 1 says it was created in? How did he know about Adam and Eve or Noah or the flood or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph? How could he have known about any of that? He had to have learned it from God when he spent time in God's presence. Psalm 103.7 says that God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Let me say that a little bit differently. He made known or revealed what he did to the children of Israel, and he revealed why he did it to Moses. That's what happens when we go into his presence. Now, some people say, well, Moses was special. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. In fact, when he brought them out and they crossed over and they get to the mount of God and, and, and all of them, God says, bring everybody up. Bring them all under the mountain of the Lord so I can speak to them. And everyone said, uh-uh, Jack, no way. Moses, you go and tell us what he has to say. God didn't want it to just be Moses. God wanted all of us to enter in. Some people still say this today. They say, hey, pastor, listen, I want you to go pray, hear from the Lord, and come back next Sunday and tell me what he said. God has invited all of us into that life-giving daily relationship to hear his voice, to look intently into his presence, to hear him speak to us and learn what he wants us to do in this season of our life. We've got to spend time focusing. In Exodus 33, I want us to look at this passage really quickly. In verses 7 through 11, it'll be on the screens to follow along. It says that Moses, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up, stand at the entrance of their own tents, and they would watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, a pillar of, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance until uh, while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow in front of their tents. Inside the tent of meeting... 
The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind him in the tent of meeting. Cecily asked me the other day, Dad, who was Joshua's dad? I was like, Joshua? Which Joshua? In the Bible. Oh, the Bible, all it says is that he was the son of Nun. Well, that's sad. He didn't have a dad. No, you six-year-old. Nun, like, the, uh, that's the name. N-U-N. I thought, man, that could not have been more perfect, right? So they watch Moses. He goes in, but notice where he sat the, the, the tent of meeting. It wasn't among the people. It was outside away from them because they were terrified of going into God's presence. He would go in, and Joshua went with him, which should have indicated that anyone could have gone in. And Joshua did like most people who have experienced God's presence. As long as there is just even a wisp of God's presence remaining, they're not leaving that tent. They're not getting away from it one moment. They want everything that God has, and they want everything that Moses had with God. They want to build that relationship. We've got to get back to that, that, man, when we have a chance to enter into the tent of meeting where God's presence is here, we've got to enter in and we've got to linger there as long as we can. Because trust me, when we leave that sacred meeting place, we have to go back out and allow our feet and our hands to drag through the muck and the mire of world of the world around us and this thing called life. And it gets hard and it gets difficult. And there are times that I wish we could find a different way out, but it's not always possible. Here's the beautiful thing we can always enter into the tent of meeting no matter where you're at where no, everything can be a holy place the backside of the desert your car your bathroom your closet your living room everywhere can be a holy place meet with the lord enter in give him all you've got the other thing that i love about this passage is moses demonstrated what jesus taught us as well God spoke to Moses as a friend, one man to another. What did Jesus say? I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, because servants don't know what the master is doing, but you do. God wants that with us. God wants us to have that relationship with him. See, when we enter in God's presence, we learn and understand things that we never knew before we came in and we never understood before we got there. I was going to read this um, uh, long passage in Psalm 73, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Flip over there to Psalm 73. In this passage, Asaph is writing and he's, he's complaining. How many of you have ever felt a little bit of this? Um, in verse number two, he says, but for as me, I, I lo almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Anybody, anybody ever felt this? Come on, man. We look around and we see people that aren't giving it God's, God's best and doing it God's way. And it seems like everything they do, they're thriving at. They're healthy. They're wealthy. Um, their relationships are great. Their cars never break down. Their house is always clean. Uh, maybe that's not a part of it, but who Who knows? Verse 7, it says, uh, it says, these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil in their uh, in, in the pride. They seek to crush others. They boast against, every, uh, against the heavens, and, and, and their words strut throughout the earth. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Let's skip on down to verse 
15, it says, If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Verse 16, So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. I tried to understand it, but I couldn't. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Uh, we can all relate to this, right? We, we've all wanted what somebody else had. We've all tried to do it. We wish that we had it the way somebody else had. It seems like it worked out for them, and they totally uh, did it however they wanted to and threw away what God's word says. We, we, say, um, we, we, we say, God, here I am serving you, and things are going all wrong around me. Look at the wicked person over there. They're just getting more and more wealthy, and they're healthy, and they're living a trouble-free life. Uh, let's be honest. We've been there, right? We've all had those moments. But Asaph said this. He said he couldn't understand until he entered the sanctuary of God. He couldn't understand it until he got in God's presence. And then he realized, you know what? They're doomed. Their destiny is going to be terrible on the other side of that. The other thing that he did is he realized, apart from the grace of God, that he's just like them. No, he may not be doing everything physically, but because of the grace of God that has saved us, we, we sometimes, we, let's be honest, we let our mind get away from it, and we think, you know, I would never do what Donald Trump did, but I sure would like his money. I would never, right? We, we, we think, oh, it'd be okay if I just cheat this one time on my taxes. See, when we enter into God's presence, things change. We change. We see things the way God wants us to see, and we stop comparing our actions to the actions of the wicked because, you know what, in God's presence we realize we're just as wicked as they are apart from God's forgiveness. And we realize that, that our destiny before we came in as God's children, we realize that our destiny after that is completely different because of God. But now we have this beautiful inheritance that's so much better than the temporal trappings of this world. You know what, KD, he can change teams and he can uh, have his bazillions of dollars and all the future championship rings that he's going to win with Golden State. But we can say, I've got an eternal reward. I have an eternal re reward, an eternal wedding ring, an eternal home that's made of streets of gold. Let him have a gold ball. I've got streets of gold. Let the Cowboys win a few games. The Sooners have got gold balls. We've got all of these things, right? Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Here's the thing. We can get so caught up in the temporary. Man, I wish I had these trappings. And God's saying, look at the eternal. I got more for you. Amen. What I've got for you is way better than that. And guess what? When you get to heaven, it's a continual worship service. Everything is focused on God. We don't have to worry about the trappings of anything else because we've got everything we need. We can live that today. God wants you to have a here and now. Not only do I have a God who is worthy of my worship, but desires to have fellowship with me right here and right now, during the here and now. I'll tell you about, a, uh, as I close, I want to tell you a story about a lady, a lady's testimony that I heard. She grew up in church her whole life. How many of you grew up in church her whole life? Yep. This particular lady... She was saved at the age of nine, served the Lord ever since then. When she got married, she married a man who had a very immoral past, but he had given his heart to the Lord shortly after they got married. They knew each other because they grew up in the same school, their families attended the same church, and she always thought that she could never love Jesus like her husband did, 
because she didn't have the grievous sins forgiven like he had. She was always jealous of of the amount of love and, and worship that he could give because of how grateful he was for what God had done. And in her life, she couldn't realize what God had done because she never really walked in in that, what we would term kind of a gross sin. But one day, in her quiet time, she was talking to the Lord about this. She had a vision of herself in a wedding dress and it was covered completely with mud. She was covered from head to toe, front and back, standing in a mud puddle. She realized that that mud puddle didn't represent mud, it represented her sins. And God began to point out each and every one of them and she began to weep and she collapsed there in that mud puddle. But then as she wept, she heard God calling her name. And as she looked up, she saw the nail-pierced feet of Jesus standing before her with his hands outstretched to lift her up. And as soon as her hand was in his, she was completely clean, no more mud. Her wedding dress was brilliant, bright, white as the fresh snow. She was no longer standing in mud, but she was standing on pure gold, and she realized that her forgiveness was just as important and just as memorable and just as worthy of worship and just as glorious as her husband's because she had been just as dirty before God because God sees all sin the same way. See, when we get into God's presence, our perspective changes because when we enter in, we look intently at God. We focus on Him so that He can speak to our hearts and we can begin to learn. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Today, are you in need of some fellowship time with the Lord?